welcome to church again. Glad that we're together. Uh, this morning we're going to be in Acts uh, chapter 8. We're going to kind of be towards the end of Acts chapter 8. And um, I just want to start by reading the entire text uh, for us this morning. Me and a couple of pastor friends got into a discussion this week about um, a survey that we saw, a Gallup poll that talked about people's view on what the Bible is and what it isn't. And we were talking about what uh, what matters? Does it matter if you bring a physical Bible up here with you? Does it matter if it's an iPad or obviously a laptop or whatever? And um, we kind of talked about the reality that throughout church history, one of the things that has marked the church gatherings is the public reading of the scriptures. And so we want to continue that. Uh, that's part of our tradition as part of the global historic Christian church that we read the scriptures aloud. Paul even tells Timothy not to forsake that. So I'm going to read to you verses uh, 26 through 40. Uh, from Acts chapter 8, and then I'll pray, and then we will uh, dig in together for the next three hours or so. Just kidding. Just wanted to see if you were listening. Not that long. All right. Verse 26 of Acts chapter 8. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and he went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship, and he was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join his chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied to him. Who can prescribe, describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. Verse 34. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom I ask you, does this prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, see, here is water. And the pastor lost his spot. <laughs> And they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? Verse 38. And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. So first, let me just disappoint you. I'm not going to talk about how Philip was teleported there. I know. I know. I want to. It's fun. It's interesting. But for today, we're going to focus on something else. But... You did read that right, and you heard that right. So as we read this book, as we continue to get further into it, I think this is week 15 now of this series, one of the things that we would probably not have guessed, if you, if you never read Acts before, one of the things you probably wouldn't guess is the way that Philip has kind of just burst onto the scene here, right? We hear about him in Acts 6. If, if you were here, you remember back to Acts chapter 6 when he's chosen to be a deacon, a table servant, to help uh, with the passing out of the bread to, to some widows. But none of us would probably have seen that because of our 
sort of earthliness, our worldliness that's still in us, maybe none of us would have seen that leading to the powerful way that God uses him as we continue now in Acts, right? We normally don't see that as a progression. Start out serving bread, end up being teleported by the Holy Spirit because of the power you're walking in, right? Teleport is not really the right word, but... We, we don't normally see that as a progression. We tend to see somebody go from serving tables to, to maybe doing something a little better and a little bit. But, but God uses Philip mightily here. And so the reason for that, we see back when Philip was installed as a deacon, when he was chosen as one of those to serve the bread, that in chapter 6, verse 3, he was full of the Spirit. That, that means for us, he's exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruits the fruit. It's one fruit, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. If you've ever met someone who has walked with Jesus for a long time, a really old Christian that has really walked with Jesus, they are growing in all of those areas at once, right? Because it's not like you can grow in your, in your joy and your peace, but not be gentle, doesn't work. So one fruit of the Spirit as evidence of being full of the Spirit. And again, I want to emphasize this. That is the normal experience of a person who is filled with the Holy Spirit, which is the normal experience of every Christian. It's not for some elite class of Christians. Philip is a regular guy. He's just a regular guy in the church of Jerusalem. He filled a role, and now God is using him. Now, what we see here, though, in our text for today is also another way that we manifest that life in the spirit. And this is really important to your discipleship to Jesus, discipleship, your apprenticeship to Jesus. This is central. And that's uh, what we uh, kind of see that, that Philip is tuned into the movement and then the direction of, of God in his life that he hears from the voice of the Holy Spirit. Okay, we're not rigidly hanging on to the way that maybe God, God has done things in the past, but we're walking with the spirit and he's doing something and we are going with him. We like to say uh, a lot around here that we're, we're not trying to, or I like to say in conversations, I'm not trying to invent some new thing. I'm trying to see where is God and the Holy Spirit at work and let me just go that way. Right? We, we are like Philip here. We're, we're ready to hear from. And most importantly, again, this is an important idea. We're, we're ready to obey God's word to us when he moves us, when he guides us. Philip's a great example for, for us of what it looks like to walk in the spirit. Notice, I want, I want you to take notice of verse 26 and verse 29. We see in both cases divine guidance being met with immediate submission from Philip. Look at first. Philip led by an angel, verse 26, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. Now that's Luke saying, telling you where it is. This is a deserted place. So it doesn't make any sense to go there. Right? He's saying, go to ghost town, you, you know, Jerusalem. That, that's where he's telling him to go. And what does it say? Philip rose and went. We read on, starting in 27, we see Philip's openness, continuing openness to the Spirit's direction. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court, of, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join his chariot. And Philip said, okay, Lord, but let me pray about it first. No. That's not what it says in the text, right? Phil, look how Philip responds. 
He's so in touch with the Spirit, walking with the Spirit, that not only is he flexible to how the Spirit is leading, but, but also he, he's flexible to how the Spirit would use him. And he's obedient. He just does it. Think about the timeline uh, of the story here, right? You get selected to serve at the church food distribution ministry. That's what Philip was doing. And then persecution breaks out, right? You flee to a place where people have felt outcast and far from God. We saw that last week. And you begin to see what we would call in our language a revival breakout. That's what Philip sees. The entire town is turning away from a guy who's practiced the occult and magic, and they're turning to you. They think your message is now God's truth, and they, they think you're from God, right? So, like, tell that to any church planter, and that's what you're trying to do. That Philip's doing it. Everything is going great by human standards, right? New people are joining your movement, and then what's God's next word to you? All right, great. You're doing a great job. Go out to this deserted place. Doesn't tell him why. No explanation. Through an angel just says, hey, go into this deserted stretch of road that's, that's in, an, in a deserted place, wilderness. Right? Huh? What? God, can you send the email again? That doesn't compute. That's not what we usually expect. We kind of expect that everything, because of our sort of cultural idea of everything is always progressing, we tend to think that everything is always going to keep getting better and better, right? It's a phrase I hear all the time, better days are yet to come. And in the grand sense of the cosmos and Jesus returning, that's true. But maybe not. God might have something else for you before that. And if I'm in that situation as Philip, it's, I would be so discouraged. Like, really, God? Things are kind of cool here in Samaria. Like, things are going great. Why am I going to do this? What, what am I going to do out there? Why am I going to go out into the deserted place and what? Do nothing. I don't know. But that's not how Philip responds. So, so what is it that makes Philip's story important enough or part of what makes his story important enough that Luke wants to tell it here inspired by the Holy Spirit? What is it about this moment with Philip that makes it be part of God's inspired word to us, right? Like this isn't direct instruction to us like maybe an epistle would be. But this story is here for us to read. Well, it's again, it's that old timey Bible idea that maybe has fallen out of fashion a little bit. And that's simply obedience. That, that's what's happening here. Obedience to the call of God. And in Philip's case here, immediate obedience. Again, look at the words immediately after the divine instructions as they come to Philip. And he rose and he went. Verse 26. Philip ran to him. Verse 30. So, you want God to use you to reach people? Be filled with the Spirit and walk in obedience. It's a simple formula, but it's so difficult, isn't it? I mean, I can tell you so many stories of now having studied this for a week, how many times I've felt that little like, hey, maybe you should go talk to this person. And, oh, no, 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 I got other things I got to do. Important things. And I don't walk in obedience. And, and perhaps I'm... I'm not seeing what I want to see as far as life with God because I'm just simply not walking in the spirit in obedience to him. So as we now look at the person Philip is sent to, 
Uh, we're going to see two perspectives to see this sort of moment, this interaction, this person from. So from, from the 30,000 foot view, from God's sovereignty view, God is working on this person's heart in a way, uh, in such a way that they're searching and they're spiritually hungry to answer questions that are down there in, I think, all of our souls. Maybe some of us here are in, in that place. I, I bet most of us in this room who follow Jesus, who would call yourself a believer, you probably have somebody in your life like this who's asking questions. They're searching. They might even be reading scripture, but they don't quite get it. And, and maybe they're not bold as the, as the Ethiopian eunuch here, and they might not ask, but they want to know. I bet all of us who know and love Jesus have at least one person in our life who deep down is searching for something and they want to understand. But we also see from God's perspective his, his bigger vision here in the book of Acts and, and still in our world today to see the church multiply and expand all over the globe, particularly here in Acts, all over the globe and not just in Jerusalem, right? Because similarly to the mission to Samaria that we saw last week, the conversion of this Ethiopian here points to the expansion of the gospel, yes, geographically, but also ethnically. Like, understand this Ethiopian eunuch is an African person. They're black, as we would say, right? This is different than has been in the church yet. And if you want to study an, the awesome history of Christianity, Christianity is not a white man's religion. I know that's a thing that gets thrown around. It thrived in North Africa. And so much of our theological heritage comes from there. So Ethiopia is an important uh, idea here, an important place here. Now, it refers, if you're not familiar, I, I wasn't, you know, because I'm American and I don't know geography, but <laughs> Ethiopia here refers to the region we now call Nubia, uh, which is, if you're maybe a little more familiar with countries, it's, it's where Sudan is. So think of that part of, uh, of the continent. And so now understand, though, that in this day, the Greeks and the Romans... From their famous writers, Homer, Pliny the Elder, they considered Ethiopia to be basically at the end of the earth. It's an exotic place. It's way at the end of the earth. And so here, at this point in the narrative, where, where the expansion of the church beyond Jerusalem is just starting to manifest itself and just starting to be realized, Luke includes this story. It's not an accident. He includes this story of this conversion that's what this is. This is a conversion of this man in the, in, because he's then going to, in that joy, take the gospel to that exotic place. He's going to take the gospel to a place way outside the Roman Empire. A, a place way more distant from Jerusalem even than Rome itself in their imaginations. And so in this portion of Acts especially, but really in all of the New Testament what we see is that the expansion of the church, the multiplication, the growth of the church is linked with conversion, right? That's what we're about. If you're like, what's this church thing all about? We want you to know Jesus. The word for that's conversion. And that's what happens here. So, so it's through, it is primarily through conversion that God intends the church to multiply and to expand. That's the primary idea of why we exist. We exist, what did Jesus say? Make disciples. Step one in make disciples is people go from unbelief to belief. They, they convert. 
And so in this portion of Acts especially, the expansion of the church is linked closely with conversion. This is so important for us because this is still true. This is still true. I didn't say the only exclusive way that the church expands, but it is heavily the primary way that the church is intended to grow and multiply and then expand is through conversion. It is through the gospel being preached, right? Philip opened his mouth and shared the good news of Jesus from the scriptures. That is the way that God has ordained that people will come to know and love Jesus, that they will go from unbelief to belief, like our story here, becoming part of this family, being, what are we saying? We were adopted into God's family. How? By our hearts being changed and going from unbelief to belief, conversion, and then the church expands and grows and multiplies. We are discipled together. That's the connection here in Acts, and it's still the case today. Conversion is what it's all about. That's God's vision. So that's a 30,000 foot view as we look at the Ethiopian eunuch. And then from ground level, we see the role of human obedience. Like as big as that vision is, here's the paradoxical wild part. God chose to use you and I, which is crazy. Why would he do that? Because it makes him all the more glorious that he can use bumbling fools like you and I to do what he wants to do. Hard-hearted, stiff-necked people like you and me is how he reaches. Why? Because he's that glorious. He's that powerful. He confounds the ways of this world. God chooses to use flawed followers' obedience to carry out his plan. And one author put it this way, The Lord of all creation has ordained that he would do his work through us. Our seeking the Spirit's guidance and obeying what he wants us to do and say is the way that he works to bless the world. That is the way. This is somehow the divine equation for God's kingdom coming here on earth. God's sovereign work plus our obedience equals salvation coming to the world. That's the way God has set it up. And it's a wild way that I would never think to set up that way. I'd be writing stuff in the clouds or who knows what. But I wouldn't be using me. So, so I want to encourage you. Well, you're thinking, what do I do then? Well, thank you for asking. Start practicing then the spiritual discipline of stillness and listening. We should assume that Philip is listening for the voice of the Holy Spirit if he's hearing. So start practicing the spiritual discipline of stillness and listening and just being still enough to hear the Spirit's voice. And just see if your chance encounters with people about the gospel, right? Don't start to increase. I have uh, I follow a few pastors on uh, social media, and one of them, I don't know, this week or last week, said for this last year he has taken the allotted amount of time that he reads in a week, and he has cut that by half, and the other half he is spending intentionally just in quiet and in stillness, listening for the voice of the Holy Spirit. That, that's the kind of thing that I'm talking about, practicing this listening. Now, imagine how Philip, as this story goes on, and we read the story, imagine how Philip, as he gets to this place that's supposed to be a deserted place, imagine like the gasp he maybe lets out when he sees an entourage out there in the desert. Like, 
If you missed it, this guy is the treasurer of a queen's treasure. He's a big deal. He's maybe in the cabinet with the royalty. Right? We're safe to assume it's a pretty big caravan because, again, this guy is the secretary of the treasury for the Candace dynasty of the kingdom of what was then known as Ethiopia. A big, amazing kingdom. This guy's an important guy. So what we know about him is that he is a eunuch. If you don't know what that word means, it simply means he was castrated as part of the way that he served in the royal cabinet. Now, we could go into a whole thing about why that happened and what the purpose was, but that's who he was. And for the context of our story today, here's why that is so important. He is twofold a Gentile. He is ethnically unable to come into the temple. And because of the fact that he is a eunuch, he is also unable to take the sign of the covenant, circumcision. And so he cannot participate in temple worship. So this means that while in his home of Ethiopia, he had somehow come under the influence of Judaism and he had gone to Jerusalem to become what most commentators would call like a proselyte, a full proselyte. He is maybe the language of God fearer that we're going to see in Acts again uh, uh, to Judaism because of the fact that he had a copy of the scriptures. So because he has a copy of the scriptures, most scholars think he is a proselyte to Judaism. He believes the things the Jews believe, but he can't be a Jew because he's ethnically not there and because of the fact he is a eunuch. So as this guy is traveling along in his chariot, he's reading. And in, in these days, he would have read a lot. That was the common thing, which is just wild to me to think about. What if we did that like out in public, right? And we're just reading Twitter aloud. Don't do that. So he's reading aloud from Isaiah 53, from the scroll of Isaiah. You have it if you have a Bible, the book of Isaiah. It's the same thing. It's just in pages instead of a scroll now. And so he reads verse 29 from Acts 8. This is what it says. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join his chariot. So Philip ran to him. Like literally, Philip is walking along and the spirit says, hey, go catch up with that guy. And he jogs over. Kind of odd, right? And he hears him reading Isaiah the prophet, and because of the prompting of the Spirit, knowing the Spirit wants him to go over to this guy, Philip says, hey, do you understand what you're reading? Now, he's not doing this to be offensive. He's doing this because he can see this guy's not a Jew. Do you, know, do, you, do you know what you're reading about? And he says, how can I unless someone guides me? I cannot think of a more like, amazing moment if you're doing evangelism. Do you want to hear about Jesus? How could I unless you tell me? Right? Amazing. And so he invites Philip, and I imagine he's riding in his chariot, and he does the, come on, sit up here. Right? And he invites Philip to come up and sit with him. And so here's the passage. that it, th This is the quote from Acts of Isaiah 53. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Now, if you've ever been to any Good Friday service at any church ever in your life, you've heard this text. This is the suffering servant. And the eunuch, at the end of this passage, verse 35, the eunuch said to Philip, And whom I ask you, does the prophets, about whom, about whom I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? And then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. Just take note of that last phrase there. Look at it there. Philip opened his mouth. 
I remember back in college, it was so pop, that phrase, maybe you've heard it attributed to, uh, Saint, I think, St. Augustine, um, preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. Sounds cool, not biblical. The gospel is words. It's news. There, there's so much we could dive into here about what Philip probably shared. He, he probably shared the rest of that famous text from Isaiah uh, about the suffering servant Jesus. He probably went to some psalms, some particular ones I could point you to. All of that's interesting. But what I want to think about together is this. All of us, if you know and love Jesus, all of us are called to be in touch with the spirit and to know the gospel. All of us are called to be able to explain Christ from the scriptures. So how many of us can? And, and that's not a condemning question. That's a question that your pastor wants to know. How many of us are, are able to do that? How many of us can have this kind of spirit-led, spirit-filled conversation with people? Because that is much more joy-giving to your soul than simply thinking, oh, well, I'll get so-and-so to do it for me. No, God wants to work through you. He's gifted you to reach certain people. So, so now that I've asked that question, let me just tell you that as a leader in the church, as the pastor here, I feel a weight of, of this. Because why? My role is to equip you to do this. So I asked that question, and there's a lot of weight on me. So over the last six months or so, one of the things I've been praying about, I've been talking about it with some of the other folks here, is what, what are we going to do in terms of some kind of community group, class, whatever? What, what's that thing we're going to do that's going to be part of the rhythm of discipleship for us? And we've done a few things here and there which have been fantastic, but as, as far as like a, 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 an ongoing thing that we can dig into and grow together, we're going to start... A 10-session course on Monday nights in the middle of September. I think I have a graphic for that uh, called the Story Formed Way. Okay? I want to exhort you as much as I can to make space in your calendar for this. Move things around. Rearrange whatever you got to do. Monday nights starting in the, the, I think, the 12th of September. Oh, yeah. It's right there on the screen. 12th of September, assuming I didn't put the wrong date. It's a Monday night. Uh, I'm going to be talking more about this in, in the next week or two to kind of talk it up. But again, I just want to invite you, save Monday nights if you can. We'll be done before Thanksgiving. It's going to be 10 sessions. It'll actually be like eight meetings. There's a couple spots in there where there's some travel and things and the building's being used. But the goal for us with this is to better understand the big story of God. That's a piece that I see when I have conversations with so many of us. That's the thing I see like we need an overarching big picture. And this should do that for us. Uh, and so... The goal is just to understand the big story of God and then through that for you to be able to have more gospel conversations like this one that Philip is, has here as we also listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit, right? Philip is not elite. He's just a regular Christian guy. That's why he's in the Bible for other regular Christians to read about. So Monday night, starting mid-September, and we'll get more on that soon, uh, the organization, how that's going to work. Um, but now back to the text. Okay, so I hope that each one of us, my prayer for you, if you, if you know and love Jesus, is you get to witness this kind of con conversion at least one time in your life. I know we always do it, well, maybe I just planted a seed. Yeah, I get that, and th that's true. But I hope just for your joy and your edification, you get to see this kind of conversion. This is amazing. Not only is this guy converted, but he's ready to like take the next step. Awesome. Verse 36. And as they were going along the road, they, along the road, they came to some water, which remember is kind of a miracle that they found water. They're in a desert place. And the eunuch said, 
See, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Remember, Philip isn't like ordained. It's not Reverend Philip. He didn't go to seminary. He's just a regular guy, and he's baptizing someone. This is what God wants to do through each of us. Now, that's not to say that the structure of the church and all that stuff isn't good and important. It is, but I just want you to see that God works through all of his people. Now, maybe when you read this, you, you ask the kind of question maybe I ask, which is like, wait a minute, how did he know to be baptized? Who told him, hey, you need to be baptized? Now, back at Peter's sermon, he does say that, repent and be baptized. But nobody says that here. Well, baptism is not, is not a Christian-only thing. The idea of baptism is in other ancient religions as well. And as a Jewish proselyte, the Ethiopian knew that baptism is the expected symbol for a Gentile to repent and convert and be a proselyte into Judaism. And so I think it's also safe to assume that Philip probably ended his explanation of the gospel and of the Jewish scriptures in Jesus with some kind of appeal for baptism because that's what Peter did. And Philip would have known that. And so all we know is that this man wants to take the first steps of obedience with Jesus. And so Luke wraps up his story in verses 39 and 40. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord took Philip away and the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. And then, but Philip found himself at Azotus, And as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. So, right, we see Philip get carried away to another place and just start doing the same thing he's been doing. But what we see that is that this baptism for this Ethiopian is so meaningful because of the, the, his racial status when it comes to, to Judaism. See, in Judaism, he would, again, never be able to fully participate in the life of the temple. He would never be able to. This man who, because he was a eunuch, because he was an Ethiopian, he's forbidden to enter the temple except for what would be called the court of the Gentiles. You can look, look about that in Deuteronomy 23. And this court is outside the temple proper. Now this man now, though, because of his new faith in the true temple Jesus... He questions whether any exclusion like that stands between him and Jesus. Wait, so is this thing the same as this thing was where I can't fully enter in? And the fact that Philip baptizes him answers that question for this man, but it also answers that question for you and I as well. And the answer is no. There, there are now no external exclusionary things that stand in anyone's way to Jesus. You don't have to be any kind of person to come to Jesus in his act of sacrifice on the cross. One of the things that Jesus has done is to make what used to be two men, Jews and Gentiles, now one. He literally has torn down the wall of hostility. There are walls in the temple courts. And Jesus, by his work, has torn down those walls of exclusion so that now the only thing standing between you and anyone else, the only thing standing between you and the life of salvation that you actually long for is simply your faith-filled submission to Jesus. That's it. Trust Jesus. Does it sound too easy and too good to be true? It is. Just trust him. Come to him. And just to add to the beauty of this moment, 
the, the implied reader, which you remember was this maybe a person named Theophilus, but also you and I, and, and Luke is assuming that the reader of Acts would probably be familiar with the Old Testament because he's writing to someone. He recognizes that in this moment, Jesus, in his salvation of this eunuch, has fulfilled another prophecy from that same scroll of Isaiah, not far from the one that the eunuch was already reading. Listen to this from Isaiah 53. To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant. I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall never be cut off. And this Ethiopian eunuch is the fulfillment of that. That we read about this eunuch who couldn't get into the temple, but because of what Jesus has done, now he's in our scriptures forever. As we wrap up, the story and this morning, I was just struck with the thought uh, that we, we sung about a little bit earlier today. Look at what God has done, right? Look what he did. And when it comes to us, church family, when it comes to us who, who claim Jesus as Lord, look at the kindness and the gentleness and the beauty and the inclusion that God is looking to bring into this world when we, like Philip, simply walk with the spirit that he has given us. We practice listening for his voice and then we obey his voice when we hear it. So who is it in your life that you know that maybe feels a little bit like they think they're an outcast? Or maybe you know them to kind of be that person. They've just always been a little bit socially awkward. They're kind of an outcast. That might just be the person that the Holy Spirit is telling you, hey, run to that person. Those are the people that Jesus wants to reach. So who is that in your life? Let, let me pray. Holy Spirit, as we read these stories and we do our best to hear from you in the middle of them, Today, would you just bring, bring to our mind the face of that person who maybe, maybe we've even treated as an outcast. May, Father, we repent of that. And if you're telling us, go to that person, Father, we want to go to them. We want to obey you this week as we go out from here. We want to be your love, be your hands and your feet, be the, feet, the hands and feet of Jesus and his arms as, as we embrace that person into our lives. What would it look like? for us to be the people of running to those who everyone else does not want to be a part of. Father, we ask you to, again, prompt us, and we ask you to help us to learn to be still enough to hear that prompt. Our world is so noisy and so busy. Father, would you help us to turn our TVs off and put our phones down and hear from you? Would you give us space in our lives with which we can just Sit in the quiet with you for just even a few minutes. We're listening. We want to hear your voice. We need to hear your voice. And so, Jesus, we ask all this for your glory so that people would know and love you. This is not about us. This is about you. Would you use us? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.